0: Well, I want to invite you to turn to Psalm 57 this morning. Psalm 57. And I'm going to read this psalm and then ask for God's mercy as we study together His perfect and precious Word this morning. I invite you to stand in reverence for the reading of the perfect words of our sovereign God. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. Till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high. To God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. Selah. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps and my soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. Selah. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will give thanks to You, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to You among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, Creator, Sustainer, Redeemer, Sovereign of the universe, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we pray this morning for your mercy and grace, for it to be evident that by the work of the Spirit, you are among us. And Lord, we ask very specifically this morning that you would change us. For some, the change would be from spiritual death to spiritual life. Salvation, awakened to the truth of the gospel. And for others, the change would be growth in Christ. Sanctification, walking more in line with the gospel. But Lord, I pray that not one soul who is here this morning would leave here unchanged. May the seed of your word find good soil In the hearts of the people gathered here for your glory and our good. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thanksgiving is a fight. It's important for you to remember that because we tend to blur that. We tend to think that maybe being thankful and having a sort of disposition of Thanksgiving is just a, a personality trait. Some people have it and some people don't. Oh, I wish I had it. I I wish I was more like that. That's the way we tend to think. And we also tend to look out at other people and pick out particular things and tell ourselves a story about their lives. We see somebody who is consistently smiling and we see somebody whose pictures on Social media are always happy and their children are smiling in the pictures. And we think, oh, they've got the life. They are so happy. I I, I wish I had their life. I wish I was more like them. I wish my personality was more one that was naturally thankful. You see, the questions about the stories that we tell ourselves based on the information we have is whether or not they are true or false. What we are supposed to do as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ is to know that there is the story that is to govern the way we see all of the facts around us. You see, the problem with doing what I was suggesting, saying, I wish I was like them. Thankfulness comes easy for them. Why do we tell ourselves that? If it's just a disposition or if it's just a personality, it's just something I don't have. When in reality, for everyone, thankfulness is a fight. For everyone, thankfulness is a struggle. For everyone, the call is to fight, to see the world in the right way, in light of God and His promises, and be thankful. You take those few facts you know about somebody, well, they're always smiling, and man, everybody just is attracted to them, and this over there, and, and... You don't have any idea what is going on in anyone's life. No idea. Trust me, I've been counseling now for almost 30 years. You have no idea, and you cannot fill in the dots based on a couple of handshakes, pats on the back, and pictures you see. You have no idea. But secondly, this matters because thankfulness is not easy for any sinners. We live in a fallen world. We struggle with sin. Our default is the opposite of being thankful. Our default is to see the world in light of us out. And when we do, what marks us is not thankfulness, but self-centeredness. Entitlement. We decide what we are entitled to, what we ought to have, and what others ought to be doing. And the other mark of seeing the world in that way, always for everyone, is self-pity. And when we are mired in self-pity, we tell ourselves, oh, I just wish I got what I deserved. Which is a dangerous thing to say. And a terrifying thing to pray. I had an old football coach who would stand outside the field house. We got out of class and we had 15 minutes to be on the field in the gear. And this old football coach, there were a lot of great things about him, but he would stand at the field house door. One of the things not so great about him is he had half a baseball bat. And if you were past the 15 minutes you got to whack on the behind as you headed out to the field. Uh, But that's a story for another day. Uh, Statue of limitations has run out. But one of the things he always did that stuck with me for good is that as you're running to the field, he would yell, it's supposed to be hard. It's going to be hard today. If this wasn't hard, everybody would be out here. Then he'd say it again. It's supposed to be hard. It's going to be hard today. If it wasn't hard, everyone would be out here. Every single day, he would yell the same thing. But you know what? It really helped me. (laughs) I've got news for you. Football practice is hard. And nobody likes everything about football practice. Some sports... You just like everything about it, but, but football practice is grueling. The way football players endure, let's say you take the Kentucky team who had the big win last night, and they get the fruits of their labors, don't, don't say amen, calm down folks. Uh, big win last night, but those guys have been through what you, you wouldn't even believe unless you experience it. The, the, the training and the fighting back and the having to deal with the academics on the, the same side and the, the grueling sense of what they go through. Why do they do it? If they just thought about that moment, they would walk away. But they don't just think about that moment. They're doing this for a reason. This is headed somewhere. And if they keep at it, there's a hopefulness that there are good things to come. And they experienced some of that last night. But it's supposed to be hard. And I've been out there on the field and a little bit bloody and battered and tired and practicing football full pads in the Alabama sun. And have to tell it's supposed to be hard, man. It's hard for everybody else who ever played this game, and it's going to be hard for you. It's supposed to be. That's a part of the deal. And it helped me immensely. See, Psalm 57 yells to us. And one of the things that yells to us is it's supposed to be hard. It's one of the Psalms, actually we could take it and 56 together, would probably be best. But what happens in these Psalms is that there is a repeated praising of God, but in between there's just this real honesty about how bad things are. And then there's the praising of God. And then there's honesty about how bad things go. And you're waiting to get to the point where it says, okay, things are not bad anymore, it's over, let's move on. And it never does. It's supposed to be hard. This is a part of the deal. In fact, for this task, it takes not just power and strength, but supernatural power and strength. And that's why there's only some that can do it. The superscription here at the beginning of the psalm, the, 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 the little information at the beginning, most of all, which is musical notation, look with me there. To the choir master, according to Do Not Destroy, which seems to be uh, a, probably a part of a song which delineates a tune, a... A miktam of David, not really sure what that is, it, but notice this, it gives us context here, which we don't have with a lot of the Psalms. When he fled from Saul in the cave. Now this is a part of a series of Psalms of, of dark periods in David's life. This, this isn't the high times, this is the difficult times. David has already been anointed king, but nobody recognizes the fact. He is an unrecognized king. And some people are mocking him because he says to be a king. And Saul's not just mocking him. Saul wants to kill him. And so we find him here hiding in a cave in this dark period. Let me read 1 Samuel 22, 1 and 2 to point you to that context a little bit better. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. A family gathering here. Here he is running for his life, and the family keeps showing up. They show up in a cave. And notice what these people are like. Verse 2 of 1 Samuel 22. And everyone who was in distress... And everyone who was in debt, sounds like some of our family gatherings, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him, and he became the commander over them. And there were with them about 400 men. So he has a gathering in a cave of a bunch of misfits. People who are down, they are depressed, they are in debt, and they're acknowledging David in, in, in a way that nobody else was. And David is fearing for his life. And here is he stuffed in a cage in this gathering with these people who are not the elite of the culture. And they are in a situation of distress and in a situation of difficulty. And there are these people stuffed in a cave. You see, how do we deal with these types of situations? How do we deal with it? Well, the Bible calls us consistently that we have to reorient ourselves. Our default is to think about ourselves first and then think out. And when we do that, we end up giving everybody a job description on how to make our lives better, including God. If this person would just do that, and that person would do that, and that person would do that. And if God would finally do this, then everything would be okay. And the Bible calls that foolishness, by the way. And the Bible calls us to reorient our thinking, and we start with God. The issue is, what thinking do we live by? Do we live by the thinking that we create, which tells a story about what's happening around us, Or do we live by what God has said? And that becomes the story that governs our lives. Everybody is doing one or the other. So I want want you to see the way this psalm works. It starts out in verses 1 through 3, the God you know. So so how do you deal with that? Think about David. Here he is. He's been anointed king. He's unrecognized. He, He has to be sitting in this cave going, How is this the fulfillment of a promise? And we think that all, is this really going to happen? Am I deluded? I mean, if God was with me, would I be in a cave with a bunch of misfits? Notice what he says in Psalm 57, 1 through 3. Be merciful, or it's the same word translated gracious at times. Be merciful or gracious to me. Oh God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge or shelter. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. Verse 2, I cry out to God most high. Crying out, he's, he's praying, he's petitioning God. To God who fulfills his purpose for me, he will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples me, Selah, which is probably a musical notation to stop and pause and to reflect on this. So what does he do? Okay, I'm in this situation. It's easy for me to tell myself a story about this situation, and none of it's good, and everybody is 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 um doing wrong by me, including God, or I can remember God. I, I can I can voice the God I know, I can talk to him, I can petition him. He knows he's a gracious God, so he asks for his grace. He knows that his hope is not in his own strength. So he says, my soul it takes refuge in you, in him. He hides in the shadows of the wings of God, he says here. Yeah, there are storms of destruction and I'm going to stay there till they pass by. And I cry out, he says, to God most high. And there's three things that he knows about this God. Notice, these are all directional things, not detail things. God is not going to give him a three-page summary of how he's going to get him out of that cave and on the throne with people recognizing him as king. But he knows this, the God who fulfills his purpose for me. Think about what that means. He knows that in the cave of Adullam, this is not without purpose. There is a God of purpose who's bringing his purposes to pass, and this is a part of that purpose, and it will be fulfilled in me. Here's what he's saying. I don't know why I'm in this cave. I don't know why this group of people is around me. I don't know how this fits with the keeping of the promise. But I know this, it does. Because there is a God who fulfills his purpose for me. And then the second thing, he will send from heaven and save me. Now, now, there is no time on that. That doesn't mean you're only going to be in the cave 24 hours or even only 24 years. It just means there's a God who has promised to save and that God saves. And he will put to shame him who tramples on me, meaning that the enemies of God and the enemies of the king at this time of the people of God, David, will be dealt with. Stop and pause and meditate on those things. Those things make the cave look different. Look at the last verse in verse 3. God will send out His steadfast love, the the Hebrew word hesed, like the the way we use grace in the New Testament. His, His loving kindness, His covenant love. And it says His faithfulness or His truthfulness. Grace and truth. That's what God will send. In fact, that's a summary of the character of God most High. He is a God of grace and truth. He is declaring truth about the God he knows. That's how he responds to being in the cave. Next, verse 4. The problems you face. Look at verse 4. Now, I'm going to try to read verse 4 in the way it actually is uh, uh, said in Hebrew here. We kind of want to smooth it out. But but what's being said here is choppy. It is in a fashion here like a, a machine gun just throwing out clauses. There are three words, three words, three words, three words in the Hebrew. And it is a a staccato fashion here, like, like someone who is in a difficult situation and they're not talking in fluid, nice sentences. They're talking in a real choppy way because of the situation. So it would sound something like this. My soul, in the middle of lions, I lie down in a fiery beast. Children of men, man, the sons of God, their teeth, spears, their teeth, arrows, their, their tongues are sharp swords. He's saying the, the people around who are trying to take my life. I am here in the midst of lions. I am in the lion's den of men. And those men are like wild beasts and they want to take my life. Charles Ed Spurgeon, the great English Baptist preacher, says he was a very Daniel. He was hunted, wounded, but not slain. You see, these enemies have destructive intent. This is a real situation, and it's awful, it is dangerous, disaster is impending, and it is worthy of lament. And so he laments it here. And that's what you've got to get. See, there are some false brands of Christianity that would act like sort of there's a triumphalism, and and what you really do is just pretend like the bad things aren't really bad things. It's not biblical Christianity. He looks at what's going on, and he laments it. It is bad. It is worthy of lament. Now, the way he could respond to this situation is to tell himself a story. If I'm here, it's because God has let me down. If I'm here, it's because other people haven't done what they needed to do. But that's not what he does. Look at verse 5. We see the liberated response. I say liberated because here's a guy in a cave and they're trying to take his life and he's with this 400 people and yet he's free. He's free. You see it, by the way, he responds. And this is the refrain or the chorus in, in verse 5. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Let your weight, your light, let it be seen. Let, let there be a visible manifestation here on earth of your light, your weight, and your greatness. O God, you are exalted above the heavens. May that be evident on earth. You see, the focus here is not on David's danger or deliverance. The focus here is on the greatness of God, the the glory of God. He faces the real problems on earth that are worthy of lament with declarations about the glory of God, the God of the heavens. But notice that last phrase, let your glory be over all the earth. You see, this is for all to hear and see. This is a longing for all to hear. Here and see. So here's a guy who is anointed king. Hardly anybody recognizes it. The, 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 the king that's on the throne that ought not to be is, is trying to kill him. He's surrounded by a, a bunch of misfits. And here's what he knows. I've got a message that the whole world needs to hear. Now, somebody might be asking him, you know, who who are you in your situation to be talking about having what other people need, much less a global work? Who who are you to, to be talking about this God you know who has led you here? and that you're going to be a part of declaring His glory among the nations. Notice what He's not. The situation is real and lamentable, and you call it like it is, but He is not obsessed with Himself in that situation. There is something bigger going on, and He's a part of it even when He's in that situation. That's important. But you know, the thing about 56 and 57 is that the problems don't go away. So we we expect here, oh, he responded with with this liberating response. It's, It's over. And then we get to verse 57, verse 6, and we see the problems you face again. Verse 6, they set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way. So here's what he's doing there. They're trying to capture me. They're trying to trick me. They're trying to push me down. They are laying traps for me. The enemies were intentional, they were real, and they wanted to destroy him. And the the fact that that he understands God's got a global purpose didn't erase the problem that he was facing in the moment. It's still there. But notice the hope that, that, that bleeds in this last line. But they have fallen into it themselves. Selah. I'll pause and think about that. In the Bible, God's providence often has a way of mocking God's enemies. So people are nailing Jesus to a cross to put the end of this one who claims to be Messiah and lead on this way. And yet the crucifixion and death of Christ had to happen for the resurrection and Him to be the atoning Savior of His people. See, God has a way in His providence of mocking the work of the enemies against his purposes. And so David has some sense in which I don't want to be here. I'm lamenting being here. This is not a good thing, but the trap they're laying for me, they're going to fall into, and I know it. I don't know when. I don't know how, but I know it. And that leads to him again to declare the, the, the God he knows. This is the pattern that we live in. Notice it doesn't go away. The problems are there. And yet we keep meeting them with the, the God we know, which leads us to making a liberating declaration, responding in a liberating way. Verses 7 through 10, the God you know. Verse, Look at verse 7, beginning. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast, meaning fixed. My heart is fixed. On what? This God who is a liberator, this God of grace and truth, And so he says, I will sing and make melody. Have you ever noticed that a reflexive response of thankful people, no matter the situation, is to sing? When you're thankful, you sing. When you're thankful, you write songs and sing songs. It's reflexive. And those that are thankful to God have a song that cannot be muted by circumstance. This, this, um, this passage here makes me think about Acts 16, verse 25. Paul and Silas are, um, drug out of the marketplace. They are beaten, it says, with rods, and then they are put in stocks. That is lamentable. That's a horrible thing. That's a wicked thing. It tells us in Acts 16, 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. You think those songs had power? Someone who sings even when they're in stocks with blood and bruises. Oh, yeah. I've talked to folks who have been in situations of persecution and who have told me that their best weapon was fighting for thankfulness. And in those situations, a lot of time, even the captors will come and ask, what is it that you have? that allows you to be thankful in your situation. You see, thanksgiving is an evangelistic force. One of my favorite authors, Edmund Clowney, calls it doxological evangelism. The praise of God lifted up is attractional to those who are around. But, but this, this singing is reflexive. Verse 8, awake, my glory or my soul. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. My praise will wake up the world. Before the sun comes up, I will praise. I will wake up the world with the praises of God. And here it is in verse 9. I will give thanks to you, O Lord. There it is. Humility in action. The giving of thanks. The focus is on God and others, even in the middle of this cave. Notice verse 9 continues. Among the peoples. Here he is in a cave and he's thinking about the peoples of the world. Not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles. He says here, I will sing praises to you among the nations, the peoples of the world. Verse 10, for your steadfast love, your hesed. Your grace is great to the heavens, the highest places, and your faithfulness or your truth to the clouds, meaning the entire world is circled by your truthfulness, your covenant promise, and it goes up to the heavens, your grace. We are enveloped in your grace, even when we find ourselves in the cave of Adullam. Spurgeon again on this passage has a powerful word. He says, Here is an instance of the way in which the truly devout evangelical spirit of thanksgiving overleaps the boundaries which bigotry sets up. The ordinary Jew would never wish the Gentile dogs to hear Yahweh's name except to tremble at it in fear. But this grace-taught psalmist has a missionary spirit and would spread the praise and fame of his God. I will sing until, uh, to, unto thee among the nations, however far off they may be, I would make them hear thee through my glad solemnity." You see, thankfulness is integral to the missionary task. You see, it is, it is thankfulness to God that we fight for in the midst of everything. Oh, help me to remember who you are and to see your purposes that lift us up above just seeing the things of today in the, in the, in the situation of how it affects me personally in the moment, how it makes me feel. You see, the same thing we do with, with situations I think about me out and I'm in this situation and other people could have other do things and and why didn't God come through? The same thing we do with ourselves in circumstance is the same thing we do with other people. You're in my way. You're, You're not like me. You're not worthy. That is not the voice of the thankful. The thankful says this. I never have done one single thing that would gain me anything but damnation. Nothing I have ever done was a credit for me toward salvation. The only salvation that is possible, that I can have, that anyone can have, is merely the grace of God, the truth, of His covenant promise. That's it. So there's no room for any type of superiority because we are all in the same situation. But notice the chorus comes again in this song. The liberated response again. Verse 11, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens! Let Your glory be over all the earth! Do you notice the pattern that keeps happening here? But one thing we must not miss in this psalm or any psalm, we must remember that Psalm 57 is to primarily be understood in light of Christ. The psalms are the songs of Jesus. Imagine Jesus singing this psalm, which he almost certainly did. And imagine how It applies to him so powerfully. He was an anointed king from God who was not recognized. He was anointed king by God who was not only not recognized, he was persecuted. They tried to lay traps for him. He was hunted, hated, said to function by the power of Satan himself. And traps were around every corner. And you know what? He was honest about the problems he faced. And in the garden of Gethsemane, he cried out to God, If possible, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, thy will be done. And it says that it was so much anguish that he sweated drops of blood. But nevertheless, thy will be done. Why? Why? Because he came to bring glory to the Father, to the ends of the earth. And guess what? He ended up in a cave. A cave tomb. That opened by the supernatural power of God. And there was a resurrection. And every promise of God is now yes and amen in him. And the world will see the glory of the Father through the Son by the power of the Spirit because that tomb is empty. He is the One. Guess what He's full of? Grace and truth. Hesed. He's full of. And faithfulness He's full of. And He came to make the Father's grace known among all the nations. He went to a cross. But He rose from the dead. And there is a message that extends to the ends of the earth. You see, that cross wasn't a momentary situation in a particular part of the world where things got swept up into sort of geopolitical politics. It was the unfolding purpose of God for the nations. When you and I are in Christ... And we say to ourselves, this ought to be easy. We are at odds with the Christ that we name. He went to a cross. He told us to take up our cross and follow him. It's supposed to be hard. And when it is, call it what it is and lament it. But see it in light of the God that you know. And the God that you know fully and clearly in Christ. And when you see it in light of the God that you know, it won't necessarily go away in the immediate. But you will see it differently. And whereas if you don't see it in light of the God that you know, you will not have a song to sing. When you do, you will sing and even have thankfulness in the midst of the difficulty. After all, it's supposed to be like this. And when you and I give thanks in the midst of situations where nobody else in the world thinks that makes any sense, there is an evangelistic missionary power that we cannot have in any other way. And so we prove, like Paul and Silas, that we may be in stocks, but we're free. A liberated response. You're thankful. Why? Because of the circumstance? No. Because of the God who is sovereign over all circumstances. And by God's grace... And mercy alone, you can call Him Father. And you can call Jesus Brother. And you can know that the Spirit of God does not take leave when you're in the cave or in the stocks or anywhere else. So fight. Fight to live by the story that God has given. Fight to pound the truth into your head rather than the story that we tell ourselves. Fight. Give thanks. And God will use it to spread the fame of His name and His glory to the very ends of the earth. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for this word. It seems to be so fitting for this moment. And Lord, I pray that we respond to it. Lord, that we not put it away, that we not distract ourselves in the moment. But Lord, that we would respond to it. May we respond to it in song and action. May those who want to know more about Christ present themselves this morning for those conversations. May those who want to be a part of this body move in that direction. And may all of us, may all of us, even in this moment, fight to give thanks. And may we do it until He comes. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.